Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from pigskindispatch.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your place for all things great in sports history. And we have a great event today because we're still in Rose Bowl month and we're celebrating all these great games, great players, great coaches, the 100th anniversary of the stadium that bears the name of the Rose Bowl. And we have another great historian with us tonight. Again, Matthew DeBioz. Uh, welcome back again to the Pig Pen. Uh, great. Thank you again. It's great to be back. It's always great to be back, Darren. Matthew, we are really enjoying the history you've been sharing with us so far on uh, some of these Rose Bowl games that you picked out. And you have another doozy of one tonight. It's a very historic Rose Bowl game. Yes. And I can't wait to, to hear you about what you have to say about it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're good tonight. We're going to talk about the 1926 Rose Bowl game, one a very historically significant Rose Bowl game. It was the first time uh, that the Alabama Crimson Tide actually played in a college bowl game. It was also the first time that a, a, a southern a southern football college football team actually played in Rose Bowl competition. And this game, again, where the Alabama Crimson Tide took on the Washington Huskies. Uh, had enormous ramifications for college football. Uh, I mean, when Alabama won this game by a very narrow margin, it literally it ignited something in college football. Uh, basically, it sent a message to the rest of America that a new new college football power was emerging in the American uh, college football landscape. That Southern colleges, whereas before. Not, not too many people uh, really recognized them. Everyone thought that the true strength was in the Ivy League, in the Northeast, uh, in the Midwest, in, uh, in what, was what we now know as the Big Ten, maybe a few in, in the West Coast and all that. But now you're seeing new powers emerging in, a co in Southern college football, namely the Alabama Crimson Tide, and their victory would inspire other colleges to improve their college football programs. And they would draw inspiration from what Alabama did on the, on January 1st, 1926 in the Rose Bowl there. And not just, you know, adults, it also inspired children. 
like on 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 that New Year's Day in 1926, because here's another first. It was the first Rose Bowl game that was broadcast on radio nationwide and in a small little town in Arkansas named Fordyce, Arkansas, a very young boy name of Paul Bryant was listening to that game on the radio and he was so thrilled and so inspired by Alabama's victory that he made a vow to himself that when he grew, when he became college age, he was going to go to the University of Alabama and play Alabama football for the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Well, he didn't exactly uh, play for Wallace Wade, who was the head coach of Alabama, because by the time this Paul Bryant got there, Wallace Wade was gone. He was coaching at Duke. But he did fulfill his promise to play at the University of Alabama. And that is and that's why Paul Bryant later became known as Bear Bryant. Very inspirational game on a very uh, yeah. well-known legendary coach. So yes. tremendous. Yes. But the seed was planted in that young boy's uh, uh, mind. And wow. What, and what, what grew out of that small little seed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's ironic that it wasn't even really, you know, his, his playing uh, for Alabama that we remember <coughs> it's the, the, the coaching and, uh, you know, the, just the strategies that he brought about. So just a, uh, tremendous that inspiration like you said that small seed really grew a big tree there that's for sure yes wallace wade who was the head coach of the alabama crimson tide was the man who literally lifted alabama football into the major leagues i mean uh if i recall correctly uh alabama football began in 1892 but they weren't really a power i mean sometimes they would have some good seasons but they were not a power when Wallace Wade took over in the early 1920s, his task when he was hired by President Denny, after whom uh, Denny Stadium is named in Tuscaloosa, now it's called Denny Bryant Stadium, he was the man who put, elevated the University of Alabama into a really major uh, college program there. And it wasn't just in academics. He wanted to elevate the football team. And he hired Wallace Wade specifically for that purpose. Okay, I want you to build up this program. And by golly, Wallace Wade did. Uh, according to my, he is featured in my book, uh, Lords of the Gridiron, College Football's Greatest Coaches. Uh, and right now I have him ranked 28th on the all-time list, according to my uh, my rating system there. He, slow, he built it up slowly. It took him like two, three years. But finally, in 1925, he put it all together. The first perfect season in Alabama Crimson Tide history. Great defensive squads. In fact, uh, before they played the Rose Bowl game, they only allowed seven, the opponents to score seven points total throughout the whole season. All the other games were shutouts. Uh, that was that was his system. Wallace Wade um played football at Brown University. In fact, he played in the 19, I think, 16 or 17 Rose Bowl. Brown versus University versus, oh, I forget who they took on. Um, was, I think it was Washington or something like that. He was with Fritz Pollard, one of the first early African-American football players in what is now the International Football League. They were teammates together. Yeah, it was uh, Brown and Washington State. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he played there. Uh, fought. He was a war hero. He served in World War One. He served in the cavalry in World War One. Also, he also fought in World War Two. He was in the artillery there. So two wars. Yeah, he was a war hero. Um, 
After the war, he got into coaching first, and I think of the high school level. Then he was an assistant coach at Vanderbilt. People, people might laugh now, but back during the early 20th century, Vanderbilt was the one of the great Southern football teams. They and Georgia Tech were the two dominant forces in Southern college football there. He, he, he was an assistant coach under Dan McGuigan, who was, of course, an apostle of yielding hurry up Yost. And again, we go back to what we discussed in previous shows. Wallace Wade was into that punt pass in the prayer. You win with your defense. You win with your kicking teams, punting and place kicking there. You always you always yield a possession of the ball to the opposing team using your either on kickoffs or on punts. Let them make the first mistake, get the turnover, and then get the quick score there. And just and then defend it with, uh, to the death there. That was his philosophy. Don't make the mistakes. Let it rely upon the enemy's mistake and then capitalize instantaneously. And that's what they did. Like I said, uh, before they played the Rose Bowl game, all their uh, their nine wins, eight were by shutout. And the only time they allowed a score was seven points. And Wade also as a personality, this is interesting. He was not the first great Alabama coach to be nicknamed. Uh, Bear Bryant was not the only Alabama coach to be nicknamed the Bear. Wallace Wade was nicknamed the bear before him. And uh, he was, to describe his personality was, he was absolutely steely-eyed, not a lovable figure. I mean, he was not, he was slow to anger, but he was slow to praise. He worked you. I mean, those, pra his practice sessions would last all afternoon long and uh, very little substitutions. He expected every player to play all 60 minutes. I mean, and if you asked that with an injury, uh, that was you, – you, you actually reduced yourself in his eyes. He expected you to play hurt. I mean, one of his players, uh, Johnny Mac Brown, who later became a Hollywood film star right after this Rose Bowl game was played. He, he starred in Westerns, actually co-starred with John Wayne in like late 20s, early 30s and all that. Yeah, he was a star. Uh, talked about, he said, uh, we, uh, he said, I was only like 160 some pounds. He said, I played all 60 minutes and me and my teammates did the same thing. All of us were expected to play all 60 minutes there. Offensive defense, uh, no exceptions. I mean, he, he worked, he worked you to death and, uh, there wasn't a beating you weren't going to take. Not that he, I don't think he was violent like that, but you know, it, it was, a lot of hard work, man. You know, he said you he used to have this attitude. He said, no one ever got hurt on a football field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. And wow. he, he was not one to pat you on the back, but every his men revered him. I mean, he was a leader. He was like the iron coach, like the Duke of Owen was called the Iron Duke. Wallace Wade was the iron coach there. Hmm. And um, through his will, they, they had that perfect season and earned that Rose Bowl berth. And in the weeks, the five weeks between their last game and that Rose Bowl game, he worked them hard. Uh, no distractions. I mean, he worked them. And then when they finally took the train out to California uh, by December 28th, total lockdown. No, no nightlife, no nothing. I mean, I mean, iron discipline. And then on that game day, here's the shocker in the first half. Washington actually scored two touchdowns and took a 12-0 lead. 
No team had scored above 10, two digits, you know, against Alabama that season. Finally, all of a sudden, Washington is leading 12 nothing because they had a pretty good team. They had a, a future NFL star named Wildcat Wilson, who later went to jump to the NFL, kind of did like Red Grange did. You know, you saw what Red Grange did. Okay, I want to play in the NFL too. And I think he played like the 28 Providence Steamroller team that won the 28 NFL title, if I remember correctly. He was one of those early stars there one of the few rare college stars who made that transition to the nfl and prospered there and they took a 12 nothing lead so they go into halftime they're losing 12 nothing and the players were expecting walls way to give them a tongue lashing i mean they were looking i mean they're waiting for i mean they gave up 12 points they're losing man i mean my goodness this is sacrilege but guess what? Wallace Wade was that shrewd psychologist. And no, didn't give him a tongue lashing. What he didn't instead is uh, he went to Pooley Hubert, the, the team's court, a tailback, I think, or quarterback. The guy who called the signals, he said, Pooley, I want you to run the ball more. You haven't run the ball enough. Then to combat Wildcat Wilson and the Washington Huskies runners, you know what he did? He took out his starting defensive ends and he put in bigger guys on the ends of it because what Washington was doing was they were going around in. They were going outside and gaining yardage that way. He put his big men in to contain them on the outside there. And then uh, he just let, and then he didn't really say that much. He just let the silence build like a pressure cooker. And then I mean, they, they thought there was going to be more. He was going to whip them or, you know, cuss them out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just let the silence build, build. Build. And then finally, he just said this simple sentence. He said, they told me Southern boys would fight and just walked out of the room. That just that little sentence. And they were very they dramatic. Accent. <laughs> they roared out of that locker room ready to eat their grandmother's socks <laughs> in the space of in that third quarter. In the space of seven minutes, they scored 20 points with Johnny Mac Brown scoring two key touchdowns to take a 20 to 12 lead. And then they that defense held on for dear life. They allowed a, a late touchdown to make it 2019, but no more. They held and they won that game. And that, like I, I said in the beginning, that ign- set ignited, lit a flame in the deep south there. And other Southern colleges took that, took inspiration from that. And they too, like to University of Tennessee, they went out and got General Bob, future General Bob Neal in there because they too wanted to build up their college football programs. You already had, you already had Georgia Tech there. You had Alabama and the other schools, you know, they, they want to get into the game too. And uh, and it really led to the, the, the foundation of what later became, what we now know as the Southeastern Conference. Back then, there was no SEC. It was, I think, it was kind of like the Southern Conference. It was, it was just kind of a loose bricks and all that. But by ni- the early 1930s, the SEC was founded, and you're getting a solid foundation of Southern college football. You're getting the revival of Georgia Tech later under Bobby Dodd and all and all of that. And and uh, and Wallace Wade would later move on to Duke University with the Duke Duke Blue Devils, and that would start you know the the seeds of what we now know as the ACC. And uh, and you're seeing this uh, this domination now. I mean, the slowly but surely, the SEC becomes a power now, the leading power in college football today. But it was Wallace Wade who lit that flame lit that fuse and created that explosion that ignited the South. 
even a distinguished Southern historian, the late C, late C. Van Woodward, one of the most distinguished American historians of all time, who wrote many volumes about the American South, said this was a moment in time. I mean, it's it was an ins absolutely inspiration that sparked Southern Southern sports. I mean, you're seeing the crate, you know, the really. It's like like Texas College High School football. That this too inspired Southern uh, high school football. I mean, the emphasis on that local identity, regional identity, state identity, on all that, and uh, the, these high schools become breeding grounds of future college football talent and later pro football talent. So it's literally this. It, it, it was a ripple of a classic ripple effect, and. That's why this game, you know, lives on, you know, uh, lives on in college football memory there. I mean, the fact that it's coupled with radio, the first national radio broadcast there. So you know, the fact that, you know, a young boy in a pig's knuckle town called Fordyce, Arkansas, can be inspired to play college, Southern college football there. It's a moment in time. And in, in Alabama, not just a state power, but a regional power in today a national football power thanks to nick saban yeah yeah wow tremendous uh history there i guess the, the score you know being 2019 yeah. know, with washington they must have missed their, their extra points on their first two attempts how important that uh, came back to bite them at the end there as well yeah i mean just back then yeah still place kicking back then was still a tricky exercise. Uh, uh, today, it's not the automatic act that it is today. I, you know, you had that plump football. Uh, it, it, some, and you, know, you didn't have specialists. There was no soccer style kicking that we know today. There was no specialists. Uh, it was it was a tricky exercise. It could be, you know. Yeah, especially with the, with the drop kick. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah, that yeah. too. Very much so. I mean, now Alabama, they converted on two of their place kicks, but their third attempt failed. And actually, uh, Washington only converted on one of their place kicks there, the extra point attempt. So, yeah, it was always a tricky exercise. Yeah. yeah. Well, great job, uh, Matthew. Really appreciate that. That's uh, some excellent uh, work you had on her. Why don't you uh, share again the name of your book, uh, your your uh first book on the college coaches and where people can get a copy of it. Yes. Again, uh, my third book, Lords of the Gridiron, Pro College Football's Greatest Coaches is up on Amazon and only at Amazon. It's not available in stores. You must purchase it online at Amazon. It is presently on sale at 30% off and will remain on sale until after the national championship game is played in mid-January. So if you're looking for a stocking stuffer uh, uh, for Christmas, Get it right now. It's on sale. And if you love college football, you especially if you love the University of Alabama, because I feature four Alabama coaches in that book, Wallace Wade, Frank Thomas, Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant, and Nick Saban. It's it's perfect for it. And you'll love it. Oh, all right. Uh, Matthew DiBias, thank you once again for joining us. And uh, we'll be talking to you again real soon about another Rose Bowl. And uh, we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. I can't wait. <laughs> We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. 
Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.